Welcome to Real Life. Hi, I'm Jim Miller, and you're listening to the Real Life LA podcast, coming to you from the Southern California foothills town of Glendora, California. We're a church for everyone, and we exist to lead lost people to Jesus, building a community of grace with a God-sized vision that reaches from generation to generation. As you hear today's message, we pray that God speaks specifically to you, opens your heart, and shows you how to live each day with more joy, beauty, and wonder. Welcome to Real Life. If you're here for the first time this morning, I'm Jim. I'm your pastor. It's great to be with you on this day. Uh, God bless those of you who are in the chapel, those of you who are worshiping online. I'm glad we are all together here, uh, both in person and digitally. Uh, But today is a great day because uh, if you've been out in the parking lot this morning, you know our church reeks of barbecue. Because this afternoon, yeah, there you go. Can I get an amen? There you go. Because this afternoon is our Holy Smokes Barbecue, which is a free barbecue for the community. 4 to 6 p.m., come eat all you want uh, and have a great time. There'll be bouncy houses for the kids. There'll be live music. It'll be a great uh, little party here at Real Life. Uh, and this, it's a neat opportunity. If you invited somebody for the first time to our Halloween party, send them a text this afternoon and say, hey, free barbecue at church this afternoon. Or if you invited somebody to Alpha, which is our outreach we held in a restaurant in Glendora recently, send a text this afternoon and say, hey, more barbecue this afternoon at church, 4 p.m., and uh, that'll be a great little gathering for us. And the reason we do stuff like that is because, because, not just because we like to eat food, but that is actually very much the case. It's also because we want to have as many opportunities as we can for you to extend an invitation to people that you love to just kind of join our community here. I mean, ultimately, we want everybody to know Jesus, to meet Jesus and to experience Jesus in their lives, to experience the power of the Holy Spirit. But often that starts with community. Often that starts by joining around with a a circle of other people uh, here at church and uh, getting to know folks. And so that's why we do events like, like our Holy Smokes Barbecue. Parking's going to be uh, a challenge because the, the parking lot will be blocked off for bouncy houses and barbecue. So catch as catch can in the neighborhood around, maybe carpool. Uh, but uh, but uh, the parking lot will be full of people and, and good eats. Um, I do want to tell you about something actually kind of cool that happened this week because I realize uh, as a pastor, um, you don't get to see everything that goes on behind the scenes at church. And unless I tell you, some of it you j- you'll miss, and I want you to know some of the cool things that are, that are going on. So um, you, you know, uh, recently we collected bedding for a rehab facility, and you all brought in pillows and sheets and comforters, and we took a whole truckload of bedding to these rehab facilities. Well, the rehab facility is, is uh, managed by a guy who goes to our church. The CEO of this, this company goes to our church, and so we're collecting for his, his facilities. In addition to that, there's a guy who stumbled into one of our uh, Wednesday morning prayer meetings not that long ago, and he he himself said, "Uh, I have done drugs every day for so many years, I can't remember when I started. Uh, And he says, I don't want to do that anymore. Uh, And we prayed for him together, and it's been more than eight weeks now, and he's been sober for eight weeks, and he just went in. Yeah, that's great. That's And he just went in a rehab facility managed by the guy in our congregation who manages rehab. So he may be sleeping on bedding that one of you all brought in. 
uh, right now, which is just great. I mean, and so all that goes on behind the scenes, and I get to just be overjoyed by that and celebrate in that, and I realize you all don't necessarily get to see that. You bring in betting, and you think, I hope this goes to something good. You're doing great things that you may not get to see, and the, the ripple effects of things like that you may not get to see, but we're so thankful for that, and we just celebrate in that. So thank you for your generosity. Thank you for your support. If you, if you didn't provide for us to have a space to have a church, we wouldn't have prayer meetings on Wednesday mornings that people could stumble into. And uh, so all in God's providence, those kinds of things are going on. So I'm thankful for those things. Celebrating those kinds of things. That's good. Uh, okay. Uh, let me, uh, let me uh, take a moment and let me uh, start us off in prayer. We're going we're gonna to focus in on um, a, a teaching of the scriptures, an important teaching of the scriptures that ties in very closely to the holiday season. Because we are now in the holiday season. We've had Halloween. We've got Thanksgiving coming up in a week, week and a half. We've got Christmas around the corner. Today we begin the new annual celebration of Holy Smokes Barbecue, which should be a national holiday. I'm working on it. We'll get there. And uh, so let's take a moment and pray together. Father, I thank you that you call us into a place that uh, is holy, that you make our lives holy, that you bring us out of brokenness and loneliness and emptiness and into new life. And I ask that more and more for those who are struggling to find you and struggling to find community, that your Holy Spirit would breathe a deep peace into our hearts and into our lives. God, each day we want to start again. We want to start new. And we need your power to do that. And so bring peace to all those gathered, to all those watching from a distance. God, bring peace. May your spirit move in hearts that are exhausted and renew us and give us a, a clear vision for who you are and for the life that you call us to. And now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. All right, open in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 20. We're going to read a passage uh, there today. Uh, but let, me, uh, let me set us up for this. Um, there are things that we do in church that are hard to explain. Um, there are things that we do in life that are hard to explain. There, there are things that you've gotten in the habit of doing now, which to you seem normal because you do them all the time. But if you had to explain them to somebody else, you would realize I, that's hard to account for. I, I do it and everybody takes it as normal, but if somebody had never seen this before, this would be a challenge. And I saw this recently. So uh, I had a, a foreign exchange student from Japan staying at my house for a week. Uh, my kid's middle school does an exchange program, and so we had a student from Japan stay at our house. And um, knowing that he was coming, I bought him his first Japanese New Testament, because in Japan, the population is less than 1% Christian. So I bought, got him a New Testament, and, uh, you know, that's kind of introduced him to the world of, of church. But I, I realized I had to introduce him to the world, world of American culture, because things that we take as, as normal are not necessarily normal everywhere. And I realized that one of the things I had to explained to him was, was dad humor. <laughs> I think it might be international, but I'm not sure. But dad jokes are kind of a thing, and you need to understand them. And so there's a dad joke that I've, I've told to my kids since they were born. Uh, every time we drive, you know, past a, a cemetery, I say to my kids, um, have you heard about this cemetery? And my kids say, we're so thankful you're our dad. You are the funniest person on earth. Please tell us again. And I say... <laughs> I don't know what they say. I ignore them. But I say, people are dying to get in there. And every time for 15 years. Like, like, and, it's, and I know it's not funny, but we're still doing that. And so, 
So I'm driving around, and um, Kato is in the front seat. We're going out to Hollywood to take pictures of the stars on the ground and everything, and my son's in the back seat, and we're going out, and, and we drive, you know, past the cemetery. So, um, so he doesn't speak a word of English, so I have to speak into Google Translate. And so I say to him, I say to Google Translate, you know, have, have you heard about this cemetery? And it translates into Japanese. And I look in the rearview mirror at my son and go, ah, uh, ah. And my son is looking for a way to throw himself from the vehicle to get away, <laughs> to get away from me at this point. And, uh, and Kato goes, and I say, you know, people are dying to get in there. And Kato looks at me with, uh, it's a look that says, number one, I understand what you just said. And number two, that isn't funny in my country either. And... Um, <laughs> <laughs> and then I have to explain to him what I've done. So I take Google Translate and I say, that's called dad humor. And it tells him that's called dad humor. And he kind of nods. And I say, all dads in America do that. And it translates. And he kind of nods. And I say, it's a very special thing that we do. And I translate. And he kind of goes, <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and so that's, that's dad humor. And I realize that has to be explained because, uh, because it's, it's a unique thing. Well, when you get into the world of church, when you get into the world of Christian life, there are things that if you go to church on a regular basis, and if you've done that since you were a child, there are things that you take as normal because you've always done them and the people around you have always done them. But if you had to explain it to a newcomer, they wouldn't make sense. If somebody read the Bible, having never been to church before, they read the Bible, and then they came to church and looked at what we did, there would be some discontinuities between what the Bible says and the way we do the things that the Bible says. There'd be there'd sometimes a pretty big gap. And, and one of those has to do with what we're doing here on Sundays. So the Bible says you should have a Sabbath day. You should keep the Sabbath. Remember the Sabbath day. Keep it holy. Have one day a week in which you do no work. You should, you should rest and be at peace and worship and pray. Uh, but don't work. In America, we don't really have that. In America, we have weekends. And those are not the same thing. Uh, in America, we cram all the work we can into five days and be as productive as possible so we can provide and excel and achieve. And then we have two days in which we try to cram all the activities we possibly can because we couldn't do them the other five days. And on our two-day weekends, there are ski trips and there are beach trips and there are amusement parks and there's Little League and we go fishing and we go skiing and we, go, we do all kinds of things. We even fit church in there sometimes. And then on Monday... We are exhausted because we've crammed three days of activities into a two-day weekend. The Bible says every week you should have a day of rest. In America, we don't do that. In America, we have an underdeveloped sense of Sabbath and an overdeveloped sense of weekend. Right? If you had to explain that to somebody who'd never been to church before, it's actually a pretty big gap. And so because we're in the holiday season now, I want to look at the biblical teaching on rest and the biblical teaching on Sabbath. We, we, we're going to have Thanksgiving. We're going to have Christmas. These are holidays. These are holy days. They're days that are supposed to be separated from the life of work. They're supposed to be days of peace and meaning and family. And they are going to be days of cooking and parties and driving around and getting dressed up and having you know, fights about politics over the table. That's what Thanksgiving is. That's what that holiday's for. And at the end of the holidays, often we're exhausted. I want to talk about the biblical teachings on rest and particularly the biblical teaching on Sabbath day because this is one of the most overlooked teachings of the scriptures. Okay? Let's get into it. Back in Genesis, God begins the practice of Sabbath day. You know where it is? It's in the story of creation. 
In six days, God created the heavens, the earth, and all that is in them. And on the seventh day, God rested. An omnipotent being does not need to rest. God doesn't need a break. He doesn't take afternoon naps. And so why, on the seventh day, did God rest? God is modeling for us what he has hardwired into the the physical structure of the universe. The universe is designed to function in a cycle of work and rest and work and rest. That's how it's supposed to be. And all of nature knows that. It doesn't work this way. You can't work 30 days in a row and then take four days off to make, make up for the four that you skipped. We're built into a cycle of seven days, work and rest, and work and rest, and that is how the creation is made. And it's not just people. Animals are like this too. I remember the first time I went on vacation to Hawaii years and years ago, before I even lived there, uh, but I went, went out there with my wife, and we went uh, to a place called Hanama Bay which is one of the most beautiful snorkeling spots in the whole world. Just absolutely gorgeous. And it's this beautiful, it's this cove, and there's a reef, so the the turtles can get in, but the sharks cannot. And um, so we're going to go out to go snorkeling at Hanama Bay. And we're, you know, we're tourists out there, so we don't know anything about Hawaii or the bay. And we show up on a Tuesday morning, and there's a, a chain in front of the parking lot so that no cars can get in, and there are no snorkelers down in the bay. And the sign in front says, closed on Tuesdays. And I turn to my wife and I say, you can't close nature. There's not an off switch. Nature is open. I declare it. And so I'm thinking, we're just going to park on the side of the road. We're going to walk in anyway. We'll get the whole bay to ourselves. So I walk up and there's a chain, but there's a, a guard booth, a security booth. And there's actually a woman in the booth in this empty natural preserve. And in front, of, right behind the sign that says closed on Tuesdays. And so now I think I'm going to have to talk my way in. So I walk up to her and I say, oh, I was, we're, we're just visiting. It. I, there's a, it says it's closed on Tuesday. I didn't know you, you could close a bay. And she goes, it's closed. And I, oh, okay. Uh, uh, I said, well, um, I'm, a, I'm a pastor. And so I know the guy who made this place. So I'm, you know, I'm going <laughs> trying try to pull on any string I can. And she goes, no, the fish are resting. I didn't even know fish did that. But sure enough, every week at Hanama Bay on Tuesdays, it is closed. To this day, a day a week, it's closed because nature itself works in a cycle of work and rest and work and rest. And the fish need to rest. All of nature is made that way. Creation is made that way. It is hardwired into who we are. And so in, in, the, in the creation story, God demonstrates Sabbath. God models Sabbath. He does not need it for himself. He models it to show us how we are made. Six days, God made all the earth, the universe, all the animals within it, made people, and on the seventh day, God rested to show us how it's done. Okay? That's in Genesis, the first book of the Bible. In Exodus, the second book of the Bible, God commands rest. Uh, Look with me in your Bibles at Exodus chapter 20. Uh, at verse 8. So Exodus chapter 20 has the famous 10 commandments in it. The 10 pillars of the Jewish law, the the heart of the Jewish law, the 10 commandments that are at at the center of it all. And and in between the commandment not to worship any other gods and the commandment not to kill anybody is the one we count as number four. And it's, it's this. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. 
Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not, you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them. But he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. That's up there with do not kill, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not lie. It's, that is one of the ten. God says, of all the things God could have commanded, of all the things that are important to the heart of the Lord of creation, take a day off. You need a break. Don't work every day. Sabbath is an act of justice. It's an act of saying that you are not what you produce. You are who you are made to be. You are a child of God in relation to God, and that is more important than what you produce. The Sabbath day was the Jewish rebellion against Egypt that held them in slavery and forced them to work. Sabbath was the act of saying, we are not our work. We are our relationship with our Creator. And that is so important to God. God wants to be in relationship with you. He wants you to know who you are. He doesn't want you to forget. He doesn't want you to get so bogged down with producing things that you lose track of what you were made to be. And so he commands it. You will keep the Sabbath. Now, be real careful because I watch the communities around us and I see how much people commit themselves to our children's sports. And, and, and I've seen how much people will go months on months on end to do sports and then maybe make it back to church after a while. You know what your, your child is not likely to be when they're an adult? A professional athlete. You know what they are likely to be when they're an adult? An atheist. So let's get our priorities straight. Okay? I know this is a heavy one, but this is important. If you read the scriptures and then show up at church, we're not actually living the way they say. There's a pretty big discontinuity in the way we do things. God didn't design weekends for us to overwork ourselves. God designed a Sabbath day for us to have rest, to be at peace. And it's not to punish us. It's not to put a burden on our shoulders. It's to give us freedom. God models rest in Genesis. God commands rest in Exodus. And then God promises rest in the teachings of Jesus. God in human form, when he shows up and walks the earth, God promises rest as a gift, as a blessing, as something he wants for us. This is how, this is how Jesus put, puts it. In Matthew 11, he says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. Uh, the yoke was that wooden beam that, that oxen would wear that would maybe connect two oxen together so that they could pull a cart with, with you know, ropes tied onto it. And that, that, was, that was a yoke. And so the Jewish rabbis of the first century would refer to their own teachings as a yoke. If you followed a rabbi, you carried the yoke of that rabbi. You carried the teachings of that rabbi. And some of them were heavy. Jesus says, if you're exhausted, if you're burned out by life, if you're stressed out by school, if, if work is demanding of you and then puts you down, come to me, you who are weary. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. I want you to have rest. I want you to have peace. 
I want you to know that you're my child, that I made you because I love you and not because I need you to produce things for me. Psalm 127 says, In vain you rise early and go to sleep late, toiling for food, for the Lord gives sleep to those whom he loves. Sleep is a promise. Sleep is a blessing. Sleep is a reward. You all know that. You know that on Monday morning, right? Sleep is a gift. And and Jesus says, look, what's most important is that you know who I am and that you know who you are in relationship to me. That's going to define your life. That's going to set everything straight. That matters most. Dallas Willard was a a Christian writer and a a theologian and a philosophy professor at USC. And and he said, Sabbath-keeping is the gateway to all the other spiritual disciplines. Do you want to have a rich prayer life? You have to spend time with God. Do you want to know the scriptures well? You have to spend time with God. Do you want to experience miracles in your life? You have to spend time with God. Time is the first thing. It's the gateway. It's the pathway to everything else God wants to do in your life. And the Sabbath day is just that. Take a day to break from your work, to break from your production, to be at peace and to worship and to read the Bible and to take a nap. And to enjoy the beauty of creation and to remember that you're loved. I, I want this for you, Jesus says. And Jesus will even go, go the distance of, of breaking the Sabbath laws to teach us what the Sabbath is for. Jesus will even break the Sabbath laws to make sure that Sabbath doesn't become a new burden on us. In, in Jesus' day, do you remember these stories? Do you remember about Jesus walking around on the, the Sabbath day and they're walking through a field of grain and his disciples are picking grain and eating grain as they go? Well, that was breaking the Sabbath laws. The Jewish leaders of the first century world, the Pharisees, had come up with all kinds of intense laws to protect the Sabbath. You can't work on the Sabbath. You can't cook on the Sabbath. That's work. You can cook the day before and then eat it on the Sabbath day, but you can't cook on the Sabbath day. They had even come up with a rule about how many steps you could take on the Sabbath day before you would walk so far, you're probably working. So there was a count, and at that point, you had to stop walking around. You can't work on the Sabbath. They had created rules on top of rules to protect the Sabbath day. So Jesus and his disciples, walking through the field on a Sabbath day, pick the grain and eat it. And the Pharisees go, aha, stop it, you're working. Another time, Jesus goes into the temple on a Sabbath day. And there's a guy there with a a hand that's injured. He's got a problem with his hand, and Jesus heals him miraculously. And the Pharisees say, aha, that's the work of a doctor. Stop it, you're working on the Sabbath day. Jesus works a miracle, and that's all they see. And Jesus has this great teaching. He has this this great teaching that he leaves us with. The Sabbath is made for you, not you for the Sabbath. I'm not giving you one more rule. I'm giving you one more gift. I'm not doing this to burden you. I'm doing this to free you. Have a day of peace. Remember who you are. Reorient yourself towards me. Now, now this is important because people rationalize the Sabbath day and they get it wrong. They say, if I take a day off, then I'll be able to work harder the other days of the week. That's not what, that's not what the Sabbath day is. That's not how the Sabbath day works. That was, a, that was how the first century uh, Jewish writers protected themselves from the Roman Empire. Uh, the Roman Empire, you worked seven days a week in the Roman Empire because you had to produce. And they ruled over the, the Jewish nation, and the Jewish people worked six days and then took a Sabbath day. And so the Romans who ruled over them called them lazy. You're lazy taking that day off. You should work seven days, not six. And Philo, who lived in Alexandria, a Jewish writer, wrote uh, in the defense of the Jewish people, he said, if you'll let us take that day off every week, 
We will work so much harder the other six days of the week. It'll be worth it. You'll see. We'll, we'll produce so much more. We'll be so much better off if we just take a day off. Then we can work harder the other six. And that's very clever. Uh, that's also totally wrong. That's not what the Sabbath day is. The Sabbath day is not a day in which you take a break so you can produce more the other, other six days. It's actually the other way around. There's a, a Jewish rabbi named Abraham Heschel who described it better. Heschel lived 50 years ago, and he, he walked with uh, Martin Luther King Jr. in the Civil Rights Movement. Wrote a beautiful little book called The Sabbath. And uh, Heschel puts it this way. He says, he says imagine the, the days of the work week having a conversation with the Sabbath day. Right? Personify it a little bit. They're talking to each other. Right? The Sabbath day and the other days of the week are talking to each other. And the days of the work week look at the Sabbath day and go, you're lazy. Look at you. We do all the work around here. We produce. We clean up. The economy works because of us. The government works because of us. Everything happens because of us. What do you do? Sit over there on the couch eating bonbons. And the Sabbath day can say back to the days of the week, yeah, but I don't exist for you. You exist for me. I don't exist so that you guys can get more done. You exist so that one day a week people can remember who they are. The Sabbath is like going back to the Garden of Eden and living at peace again. The Sabbath is how it's supposed to be. I don't exist for you. You exist for me. The Sabbath day is a day to, to reorient ourselves back to who we're supposed to be, back to how we're made, back to how the world is supposed to be, because work can confuse us. Work can enslave us to a mentality of productivity that says, I am only as good as what I can put out. And that's not true. You're a child of God. God made you with purpose and intention and meaning and love. And he is not following you around with a clipboard and a grade card trying to see if you can measure up. God made you with beauty and intention and meaning and love. And he just wants a day a week to remind you of that. The Sabbath day is more like this. Um, back when I was a kid, uh, we had these, these things called compasses. Uh, I was in Boy Scouts, and we had a compass. This was back before we had digital phones with, you know, digital GPS tracker things on them. This is back before the Insta-Face-A-Snapchat thing. Yeah. <laughs> We had compasses, and compass was a little, piece of, a little piece of metal with glass over it and water in it, and there was a little thing, a piece of metal floating in it, and it was magnetized, so it would always point towards north. So if you're out wandering around in the woods and you got lost, you could pull out your compass, and you would know which way north was. You could orient yourself with a, a compass, kids. And sometimes these compasses would get off. They would get you know, dislocated, and, and they would no longer point to true north. And if that happened, you could fix it. You would take a magnet... And you would hold it from the northerly direction towards the compass, and the compass would reorient itself. The compass would fix itself, and it would point north again. And so you could fix a compass that way. The Sabbath day is reorienting our souls towards true north. The Sabbath day is pointing us back in the direction of how we're made. Because work confuses us. Work gets us into that self-conscious place of evaluating whether we're good enough to meet up to the standards of the world around us, to prove that we're adult enough, or man enough, or dad enough, or mom enough. The Sabbath day is that day that points us back towards the true north, towards Jesus Christ, 
who says, you are absolutely, you are absolutely enough. You are who I made you to be. And that is a beautiful thing. To skip the Sabbath day is to forget who you are. And that seems like a strange thing to do. Let's pray. God, by your Spirit, set us back on track. For those who have become weary, because no matter what they do, it's not making ends meet. God, call us to a divine sacrifice of productivity for the sake of rest of seven days for the sake of six. God, we believe that you can do more in six days than we can do in seven, so teach us to rest. Teach us to live in peace. Teach us to live not by the flesh but by the Spirit. And as we do so, I ask that you'd provide. Provide for those who are in need, those who are hurting, those who are behind on bills, those who are not sure where next month is going to come from. Uh, God, you're a good God. We call out to you like children to a father saying, uh, Daddy, take care of us. And I thank you that you're a good God who loves us and, and rushes to answer when we call. So God, I ask that you'd reorient our lives back towards creation, back towards how we're made, back towards our, our wiring. Teach us to live in a cycle of work and rest. And may those times of rest just be beautiful, just be a blessing. God, by your spirit, speak to those who today are tired. Fill us as we worship you. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. Now, will you help us welcome others to real life? Share our podcast or find us on Instagram or Facebook at Real Life LA. If you'd like to become a supporter, please visit reallife.la and tap give to help us welcome everyone to real life. God bless and have a wonderful day.